The topic today is Seven Minutes to Midnight. When the bomb was first invented some 50 years ago and dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, a group of distinguished scientists invented the Doomsday Clock. You may have seen it a week ago on television, on CNN. They put their hands close to midnight and then as time went by they backed the hands off. And then during the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis, and who will forget that? I will never forget it. When the world was almost involved in a nuclear war between the superpowers, they moved the hands right up again. Then with the collapse of the Soviet Union, they backed the hands off as the world apparently became a more secure place. But just a few days ago, this you saw on television, those distinguished scientists moved the hands up until they pointed to seven minutes to midnight. The question I have for you today is, how do you plan to spend the last seven minutes? Does everybody here know what a sundial is? A sundial? Don't confuse my Australian accent and think I'm saying Sunday. A sundial? It's a little device that, is still, that still adorns many gardens. And it shows the hour of the day through the light from the sun, through the shadow. And on one ancient sundial were written the words, It is later than you think. And that's the message I want you to ponder, ponder today as we talk about the omens and the signs of the times. Would you please take your Bibles today and turn with me to the words of our Lord in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, dear people, and verse 25 and onwards. And I want everybody here today to take a Bible and to see the texts. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I want your faith today not to be in the teachings of a man or the teachings of a church, but the teachings of the word of God. Luke 21, verse 25 and onwards. Jesus said, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint with terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, Stand up 
and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus Christ, the greatest of the prophets, spoke about signs in the sun, moon, and the stars. And Jesus said, when the signs are fulfilled, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I have here today a copy of Newsweek, a recent copy, because it's marked, I think it's marked June 8th. And many of you folks will have read this, where the front cover says, Fallout, India and Pakistan revive the world's nuclear fears. And there you can see on the front of Time magazine, the world suspended in space, also right in the midst of a nuclear holocaust. I want to turn inside this magazine and... Uh, I want to read you a statement that they say here on page 26. These words are significant. I want you please just to notice these words. The article is called, Out of Pandora's Box. And of course you all know the old mythology of Pandora when she opened the box and how evil came into the world. And here they entitled the article, Out of Pandora's Box, and there you can see the box and coming out of the box is the mushroom cloud. And the article is called Out of Pandora's Box. I quote, to make sense of the ineffable, man turns to myth. At dawn on July 16, 1945, Robert, Robert Oppenheimer watched the first atomic bomb explode in the New Mexico desert. And many of you here, or some of you will remember that. I remember the line from the Hindu scripture, he later said, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Now after Pakistan's reply to India's nuclear tests, ancient Greece provides the text, Pandora opened her box and evils were released into the world. Now, an editorial from Newsweek. If South Asia gets away with going nuclear, there's a danger that the Middle East would soon go the same way. And that would have clear implications for Israel, an undeclared nuclear state. Iran's development, and of course, as everybody knows, the Israelis have had the bomb for many years. And during one of those devastating war with the Arabs, as the Syrians were coming from Damascus and it appeared that nothing was going to stop them, the Israeli war cabinet held an emergency session and that they said, if they come any further, we're going to nuke them. We're going to nuke them. And you can think what would happen when the Israelis and the others start to nuke each other. Israel, an undeclared nuclear state. Iran's development of a bomb is now far more likely since two nations on its southern flank possess both nukes and long-range missiles. That in turn would threaten the Saudi Arabians who would likely go to Pakistan for technical help. The greatest hazard, in fact, may be that nuclear know-how will spread from an ostracized Pakistan which last week proudly declared itself the first Islamic nation with a bomb into the Arab world. 
that creates a 3,000-mile-long crisis zone ranging from the eastern edge of the Mediterranean to the Himalayas and possibly beyond. Some analysts in Beijing fear that China could get caught up in the turmoil, rolling back years of Washington to Beijing talks on non-proliferation. I want you, dear folks, just to notice over here on the blackboard where I have done a little sketch of the Indian continent, the subcontinent, the Asian subcontinent. There, of course, is India, a nation which is one of the most populous nations in the world, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. Here is Pakistan, which, of course, is a Muslim state, but India is a Hindu state. Over here is Iran, right on the border, and to the north is Russia, and over here to the northeast is China. And so what has happened in the world in the last few days is of international significance. Don't think that this will not affect America because such a thing could pull the whole world in. Because right over here, my friend, is the Mediterranean Sea and little Israel that is protected by the giant, the United States of America. And of course, in this area here, you have Baghdad, uh, Iraq, Iran, and Saudi Arabia, and these other Muslim countries. Where I have put these little blue spots, and I didn't have enough room, they indicate nuclear sites in Pakistan. And then in India, the red marks indicate Indian nuclear sites, where they are working to develop larger and bigger and better bombs. Somebody has said, the irony of the situation is this, that both these countries are so poor that they can't even feed their own people. But now they have engaged in a great arms struggle. And if India goes a little better than Pakistan, will go better. And both these nations have developed and are developing long-range missiles. This blue area is as far as the Pakistani missiles can go. And they can be loaded now with nuclear weapons. And the, and the red one out here indicates the extent of the Chinese missiles, of the Indian missiles, which could go against China. And as everybody knows, China and India have been at odds for many, many years. And so here we have a new development in the history of the world. And unbeknown to many, many people who have taken all this very casually, the nuclear scientists with the doomsday clock have moved their hands seven minutes to midnight. And my question for you again is, how do you plan to spend the last seven minutes? Would you please take your Bibles and come over here with me to the book of Joel, which I believe is descriptive. These words are descriptive of what is happening in the world today. I believe these words have a greater significance than I'm going to give them right now. I'm going to give a very quick interpretation. But these words at least are prophetically significant of conditions in the world. The book of Joel, which is a small book with a big message after the book of Daniel. Joel 
which means Jehovah is God, Joel, and we're going to come to verse, uh, chapter 3 and verse 9 and onwards. Joel, which means Jehovah is God, chapter 3 and verse 9 and onwards. Are you ready? The book of Joel, chapter 3 and verse 9 and onwards. When you're ready, we're going to read the text. Here we go. Proclaim this among, uh, among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weaklings say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is come. Come trample the grapes, for the winepress is full, and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The Bible says that in the last days, in the day of the Lord, just before the Lord comes, the weak nations are going to say, I am strong. And here we have two apparently about the poorest nations on the face of the earth. I have been to those countries. I have seen the beggars by the millions. I've seen them sleeping in the streets. And these nations that cannot afford to feed their own are saying, we are now strong. And they have built missiles and they continue to build them that could plunge this world into the final holocaust. That's why, my friend, the hands of the clock today have been placed not by preachers or evangelists, but by hard-headed nuclear scientists at seven minutes to midnight. Some years ago, I visited the island of Patmos, which in the days of the Bible, the days of the New Testament, was like an ancient Alcatraz in the blue, sparkling Aegean Sea, just off the coast of Turkey. With a small television crew, I boarded a helicopter in Athens. And with a colonel to make sure we didn't stray into unfriendly Turkey, because both those nations are at loggerheads, we flew across the Mediterranean Sea, stopped to refuel on a tiny little island, and then we flew down and circled around Patmos. Then we caused a little disturbance because this is just the sleepiest, most beautiful little island in the world. The helicopter came right down in the town square. It was exciting. Helicopter came right down in the town square, completely unannounced and unexpected. All the people came out and wondered who was coming. It was only me. <laughs> and then we took pictures of this place. We were there because this was where John, the beloved disciple, was imprisoned for his faith. 1900 years ago, because he was considered to be 
a threat to the Roman Empire. He was taken by the Romans and incarcerated in this ancient Alcatraz where there was no escape but there John the beloved disciple received visions from God and visions of the final holocaust and he wrote down his visions in a book that you hold in your hands today it is called the book of Revelation I want you please to turn now to the last book in the Bible this book with a bite Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18 and 19 would you please turn to this passage written on this lonely outpost of civilization 1900 years ago written by one of God's great saints Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18 and 19 dear hearts and gentle people Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18 and 19 are you ready to go Tell me, are you ready? Thank you. The Bible says, John said this almost 2,000 years ago. God told him to say it. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great. Let me have your eyes. Looking right down to the last days, John wrote, the nations were angry. Your wrath has come. The time has come for judging people. The time has come for giving rewards to God's servants. The time has come for God to intervene in the history of the world. Now notice, this verse again, but notice the final words, please. Verse 18, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, small and great. And, uh, can you say these words with me? And for destroying those who destroy the earth think of it and for destroying those who destroy the earth and for destroying those who destroy the earth now notice the rest verse 19 then God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant and there came flashes of lightning rumblings peals of thunder an earthquake and a great hailstorm that is the end that's when the hands of the clock touch midnight. But the Bible says that when God intervenes in human history, in cosmic power, when he comes with great power and great glory, he destroys those, he destroys those who destroy the earth. Would you please consider that? Because this book was written in a day of bows and arrows when the very concept of destroying the earth was ridiculous. But the Bible predicted that in the day of the Lord, God would intervene when the nations of this earth had weapons sufficient to destroy the earth. Let me give you a possible 
scenario. For 50 years, we were afraid of the Russians because they had missiles as good as ours, as many as ours, some of them more powerful than ours, facing us, and ours were facing them. And we knew if there was a war, nobody would win because there would be nobody left. Therefore, it was called mad. Mad. Mutually assured destruction. That's what kept Russia and America away from each other's throats. But now, my friend, we have proliferation of weapons. Let the weak say, I am strong. Can you imagine in the next war between Pakistan and India an exchange of nuclear missiles? Can you imagine the teeming streets of Calcutta where people are lying everywhere? They say that in an exchange, even with these limited missiles that they have now, and now they're limited, what will they be when they're like ours? But even now, with a limited exchange of these crackers, a hundred million would die. And if Pakistan sells her stuff to Iran, or to Saddam, and if Israel goes to war, and if she is threatened with nuclear missiles, she will retaliate because she will have no alternative. Could it be that the end will start not as an exchange between the superpowers, but between these nations that can't even feed their poor, the weak nations that say, I am strong. I put it to you. I want to share with you for a little while today the signs of the times. Why I personally am forced to agree with the nuclear scientists that the hands of the clock are correct when they're at seven minutes to midnight. Why I believe it is later than you think. Would you please come to Matthew chapter 24? The book of Revelation, of course, is the Apocalypse. Matthew 24 is called by theologians the Little Apocalypse because it, can, it has the same themes as the book of Revelation. Rather, I should say the book of Revelation has the same themes as Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is the basis for everything that is written in the book of Revelation. And if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you need to go to Matthew chapter 24, which is called the Little Apocalypse by theologians. Now please notice Matthew 24, verses 1 and onwards. Jesus left the temple. Now just hold it there. What's he talking about? What's the writer talking about? Jesus left the temple. What was this temple? This was a great building built by Herod the Great with Roman money and Jewish money. It was a building that from north to south was about 1,500 feet and from east to west was about 950 feet. It stood on a great foundation of stones. Many of those stones, most of those stones were 30 feet long and 5 feet through and about 3 feet high. 
these were the normative building blocks in the temple. There were some blocks in the temple that were 60 feet long, 6 feet high, and 10 feet through. I have seen them. I have looked at them. This was the great temple. And so Jesus is here in the temple. This was his house. On one occasion he said, are you going to make my father's house a den of thieves? This was his father's house. This was the place of worship. It was the most sacred spot in the world. Verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked, I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Listen carefully, particularly if you're a skeptic. Jesus said these words about 30 AD. He said, you see this? It's magnificent. Does anybody know the size of the doors in the holy place that led into the most holy place? Does anybody know what this temple was like? This temple had this massive foundation which was a couple of hundred feet high and then on the top of it they had the temple proper, the doors, the outer doors covered in gold. Did you get that? The outer doors covered in gold were almost a hundred feet high. This was not a little tabernacle in the wilderness. The doors, a hundred feet high, covered with gold. And Jesus said, you see this? It's going to be demolished. And when he said not one stone is going to be left upon another, he meant it is going to be utterly ravished and destroyed. And uh, history tells us, particularly Josephus, that the Romans came against the Jews in 66 AD to put down an uprising. And the Jews beat them because they're great fighters. And so were the Romans. And the Romans came back under son Titus. Vespasian became the emperor. His son Titus came back. If you go to Rome today, you can see the Arch of Titus. Inside the Arch of Titus, you can see the seven golden candlesticks that were taken out of the temple. It describes the overthrow of the Jewish temple. When you go to Rome next, go and check out the Arch of Titus. It's the fulfillment of this prophecy. What happened? Well, the Jews were great fighters. They withstood the Romans. But the Romans were greater fighters. They surrounded the city. They starved them. There were about a million people inside the city of Jerusalem, Josephus says. Then they broke down the walls and they stormed the temple. When Titus heard that the soldiers were storming the temple, he sent down his own guard. He went down himself. He said, in the name of Caesar, stop, stop. This is the temple of Jehovah. The Romans respected Jehovah. They said, this is the temple of Jehovah. Don't touch it. But a Roman soldier filled with hatred and filled with lust for the gold took 
a flaming torch and threw it into the temple and some of the furniture caught on fire and within a short space of time the whole thing was on fire and then the Roman soldiers with their short swords went into the temple and waded into the people who are hiding in sanctuary in the temple and cut them down jabbed them the blood of the people ran down the steps of the temple and as the blood ran down the gold melted and mingled with the blood every word came to pass that Jesus said and the Jews who were survivors stood on the hills round about and they watched the conflagration and they cried out Ichabod Ichabod the glory is departed so it had the glory departed when Jesus walked away from it if Jesus ever walks away from a church there's nothing left if Jesus ever walks away from you and me there's nothing left because the glory and Jesus go together and when Jesus walked away from that temple it was the end of course that was in 30 AD and the place wasn't destroyed until 40 years later but every word of the prophecy came to pass just as these prophecies we're discussing today are going to come to pass and then in Matthew 24 Jesus described the social the religious and the political conditions that would usher in the kingdom of God the last days the last seven minutes we're going to notice them would you mind please please notice Matthew chapter 24 and verse 4 and onwards Jesus answered watch out that no one deceives you watch out now let's talk about that Jesus said watch out if you go to the zoo and somebody if you go near the lion's cage and the keeper says watch out you better watch out watch out means what does it mean it means watch out <laughs> Jesus said watch out that no one deceives you over and over again the Messiah tells us watch out spiritual deception is the name of the game in the last days why because most people are gullible and many people believe the last person they talk to Jesus said watch out that no one deceives you why do I get you folks to bring your Bibles and read them because it is my way of saying to you watch out read your Bible know the truth if you are not interested in reading your Bible then I will pray for you and encourage you to read your Bible but I will not have confidence in your salvation until you do neither should you Jesus said watch out that no one deceives you now Jesus here is talking about spiritual conditions the biggest deceivers in the last days as they always have been are religious leaders did you hear this there are three classes of individuals that have afflicted the human race lawyers <laughs> this is historically doctors and clergymen 
Some of those have made the most wonderful contributions to the well-being of humanity. Doctors have saved countless numbers of lives. How many have they killed? Lawyers, well, they're another class again, aren't they? But there are some wonderful lawyers. I know some, and they've helped me. And ministers and priests. These three classes have blessed the human race and have cursed the human race on occasions. So Jesus said, watch out. Think for yourself, Jesus said. Try it. Watch out. Verse 4, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will deceive many false Christs. Verse 11, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So here is a sign. Jesus said, watch out, false Christs and false prophets. How will you know the truth, you say? How can I know the truth? By watching out and personally knowing the word of God for yourself. That's how. That's how. Doesn't it almost scare you when you hear of the business like Jonestown that started here in Los Angeles? And then the thing over in Waco? People who were earnest and sincere but who didn't watch out, who were brainwashed by a charismatic religious leader. Therefore, our faith should rest in Christ and his word. Watch out. Verse 7, Jesus said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Nation against nation, Pakistan against India, China against Russia, and the, and the Arabs against the Jews, and so forth. And then Jesus said, natural disasters. And in Luke 21, he also said, he, besides saying famines and, and uh, earthquakes, Jesus said pestilences. And so these are some of the things that will usher in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, these are the birth pains or the birth pangs. Now when a woman is about to bring forth a baby, she goes into labor. And the contractions, I'm told, start with just a little. And then the contractions get stronger. And then they get, some of you are nodding. See, I know nothing about this. I've been so blessed I've never even had a headache let alone those sort of pains. And then the pains get closer together, stronger and closer, a greater intensity. These things will increase. And finally, the baby is going to be born. That's the earth made new. Now verse 9 says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations, because of me. The Bible talks over here, I've got it written down in Matthew 24 and verse 9, about persecution against those who are true to God and who stand for the truth of God as it is found in the Bible. Persecution. Then notice verse 10 and 11. At that time, many will turn away from the faith 
and will betray and hate each other. We call this apostasy in verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The Bible says that one of the signs of the last days will be apostasy and the majority of people who profess to believe in God and who profess to believe in Jesus will give up under pressure. They will go out into darkness. When the fire of persecution is lit, they will soon discover that they were not made of the material to burn. So, worldwide apostasy. Sign number six, verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the increase of wickedness, the Bible says there will come a rain of wickedness. Little children will carry guns. Little children will kill their parents. Little children will invade schools and kill their teachers and kill their classmates. And the nation will say, what has gone wrong with our wonderful dream? Remember, when Jesus walked away from the temple, the glory departed. The only security for a school or a home is the presence of the Christ. Let me tell you. The increase of wickedness. Sign number seven. This is the one I favor. Love. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. As I told you folks a few moments ago, here it is the gospel to the world. As I told you folks a few moments ago, the next few months, I'm taking a, a crew with me. We're going to visit Kiev, Moscow, St. Petersburg, where we have already run major campaigns. Then we're going to go to Nizhny Novgorod, where we baptize, by the grace of God, more than 5,000 new believers. Then we're going to fly across into Siberia, into the heart of Siberia, to Irkutsk. And then we're going to take meetings in Irkutsk, and then we're going to catch up with the Trans-Siberian Express and take the southern route down into Beijing because China is the next great nation that God is going to shake. I want to read you something. This is only, uh, this is brand new. This is from the, the New York Times. And my son David uh, took this off the... Uh, his computer, the internet, or whatever they call that stuff. Um, I want to publicly say on television, I'm being dragged, kicked, and screaming into the computer age. I'm only just got able to use a telephone. I don't know how I could ever handle these other things. Now, this is out of, um, this is from the New York Times. In 1949, there were fewer than one million Protestants here. That's China. In 1979, three years after the end of the Cultural Revo Revolution, when mass mobs attacked churches and the homes of believers, only three Protestant churches were open in all of China. When was that? Nineteen years ago. Estimates of the number of Christians in China's population of 1.2 billion range from about 15 million to 35 million, or some believe many more. Chinese church officials say there are, these are the commos, they say there are 12 million Protestants. And outside experts like Dr. Madsen say the actual number may be at least 20 million and rising. 
more than 12,000. In 1979, there were three, three Protestant churches. More than 12,000 official Protestant churches are open. Think of this. And again, by official estimates, Christians without access to churches or professional pastors meet in some 25,000 homes or other meeting points. This is what the government says. And they're trying to put it down. If they say there are, are 12,000 official Protestant churches and 25,000 homes, you can be sure there are many more. These estimates ignore groups that the government regards as criminal and are believed to understate the total greatly. God, my friend, is doing a work in these last days which defies description. The Spirit of God is moving through his word. Did you know that for the first time in modern days, the Chinese Communist government is printing two million Bibles a year? The Chinese Communist government. You know what this tells me? That God's alive. <laughs> then Jesus said, Matthew 24, 15, when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place. This is a term taken from the book of Daniel that reveals to the Antichrist as he arises in the last days. Jesus said in Luke 21 that there would be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Did you know that? Luke 21 and verse 11, fearful sights and great signs from heaven on the earth. Men would stand with terror. And then we notice Revelation 11, verse 18 a moment ago, that spoke about the nations having the awesome ability to destroy the earth. Therefore, I come to two questions. The first is this. Have we arrived? Have we finally arrived in this era? And number two, what lies ahead? The Bible says, Jesus said at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels and they will gather his elect, his children, from the one end of heaven to the other. The next, listen, great event in the history of this world will be the return of Christ and power and great glory. It is written, it'll come to pass. Listen to this. That day will be a day of deliverance Victory, reunion, joy, and life. Deliverance, victory, reunion, families united through the resurrection. Joy. Think of waking up, Alice, when you see Bob resurrected out of the grave. You'll be just a young blonde again. 
he'll say, wow. He won't look bad himself. Life. People will receive everlasting life. The Bible also says it is going to be a day of destruction, doom, and death. What will it be for you? Deliverance or doom? And therefore, I ask you the question. How do you plan to spend the last seven minutes? It's later than you think. Listen carefully to me. Back in old Wales, a part of the UK, the United Kingdom, there was a pastor running some evangelistic meetings in a little Welsh town. And most of the people in that part of the world were miners. This happened in the last century when it was terribly dangerous to be a miner. When one went down into the mines in the morning, one never knew if he'd come up in the evening. And these miners came to the meeting and this pastor preached on John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life shall not perish. And when the meeting was over and everybody went home, one miner stayed behind and wouldn't leave. And the minister came to him and said, friend, we're closing up for the night. Would you mind going? We've got to get out of this building. And the man said, sir, I'm not going home until I settle it tonight. I want to settle it. And so the pastor read to him the texts of the Bible that tell us how to be saved by confessing our sin, by repenting of our sin, by coming to Christ in faith, by having our sins washed away, and by being filled with the Spirit of God and then starting as an evidence of salvation, regular daily reading of the Bible. And he got the man down on his knees and led him in the sinner's prayer that we all need to say, recognizing that I am a sinner, confessing my sin I come to Christ. And then after they said the amen, the man got up and his face was filled with joy and he went out. And the next day he went to work and there was an explosion in the mine. And when they brought him up, obviously he was fatally injured and he was gasping and they brought his wife. And as his wife came to him, she could see his lips moving and she got over close and she put her ear next to his mouth and she caught the words I'm glad I settled it last night if you haven't settled it settle it now settle it right now seven minutes to midnight there's an old song I used to have a song leader sing for me Paul Lander used to sing it. A professor, became a professor at Loma Linda. Died recently. We'll see him in the kingdom. He used to sing the song, Are You Ready for Jesus to Come? 
Are you faithful in all that you do? Have you fought a good fight? Have you stood for the right? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you ready to stand in your place? Are you ready to look in his face? Can you look up and say, this is my Lord. Are you ready for Jesus to come? The next time I see Paul, Dr. Paul Lander, who was my roommate for two years at Avondale, he'll be in the kingdom. He was ready when his time came. What about you? Can you settle it today?